This is it, Jennifer. Your big break in TV. Welcome to prime time, bitch. Did I mention that I don't get out of bed for less than 10k? Ladies and gentlemen, we have a guest, um, as you can tell. Welcome to the Psychopath Test Podcast. With me, as always, is my co-host, Sam. Hello. Hello. And with us today, we have a man who you will probably be familiar with as the co-creator of the Viz comic. He created such characters as Sid the Sexist, the Fat Slags, uh, Billy the Fish, and all that. Uh, He's also a stand-up comedian. You may have seen him have lots of TV shows as well, but he's probably best known for being the host of the 2004 Tyne Tees ITV sitcom it panel wasn't, show. It wasn't a sitcom. I fucked that up, haven't I? The Regionaires. The Regionaires. Ladies and gents, it's Simon Donald. <laughs> it, was the, it was the last show ever to be, it was the last studio audience show ever to be filmed at Tyne Tees. Was it really? Oh. Yeah. And it was uh, it was the uh, one of the last questions that we did on that show was uh, where it was in the quickfire round at the uh, end. It was uh, facts about the region, right. and one of the questions was where did the Jam do their last live TV performance? Was that the tune? And it was in this room. Uh, was the answer in this room? And then they pulled it down and turned it into student fucking flats. Right? Just like everything, just like the Riverside yeah, and everything yeah. else. So is that why the TV show ended? Not because you were like shit. No, our show was so bad that they had to destroy <laughs> the studio. Yeah. No, the show was actually tremendously popular. And if it weren't for the fact that, and I can't prove this, but mm. I'm going to say it anyway, uh, it's my belief, as it is the belief of, of everyone else who worked on the show, that uh, the guy who was in charge of Time Tees at the time his mission was to, to get rid of the studio. Right. And the last thing he needed was successful TV shows. And both uh, our show, the one Region S that I did with Alex, and uh, Supermax show, which was the three the three legends, were yeah. both really successful. Yeah. And he had to sort of pretend that they weren't, you know. Really? It was yeah. It was. We went to a meeting in which he, the series producer Sheila Matheson uh, said the first thing she said to him was, uh, "Well, the figures have been astonishing because because the target figure for a regional TV show at eleven thirty uh, on a Friday night, which ours was, was seven to twelve percent of everybody watching television, yeah. and we got twenty three. Wow, and, that's amazing! Yeah, and uh, and he had to pretend that that wasn't good. <laughs> so anyway, he sounds like a bit of a psychopath. <laughs> he, <laughs> he, he would be a high scorer. You don't know by uh, by no, chance if he happened to be a nonce at all. It was not. Well, I, I couldn't. I couldn't accuse him of being a nonce. Right. But it's not libelous to call him a fucking twat. It's yeah. definitely not. Yeah. Sounds like a fucking twat. A fucking twat who may or may not be a nonce. Well, yeah, the, the, it's, it's, yeah, it's it's all open on the nonce front. Yeah. Uh, uh, uh. So for uh, for uh, for listeners who don't know, who aren't familiar with the Viz, probably our American listeners, if they haven't already been put up <laughs> by your, my your American, accent. your American listener, yeah, yeah, American listener, the one guy that listens. Uh, yeah. uh, could you briefly explain? Uh, to anyone who's not familiar, what the, what the Viz, how, how, how would you sum up what the Viz was and what it is? Um, well, it was a little comic uh, with swearing in <laughs> that, uh, that me and my brother started in our bedroom in 1979 when we were teenagers. And um, we sold 
150 comics of the first issue. Sold them actually on the first night that it went on sale. And then 10 years later, we were outselling every magazine in British news agents, except for the Radio Times and the TV Times. <laughs> Both of which had considerably less arse rape jokes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we... Um, no, it, it was a comic... It was um, Somebody summed it up perfectly once by saying that... Um, that what we did was we, we took the sort of cosy world of British comics in, you know, the sort of the place in which the comic characters in British comics exist. Like the Dandy and the Beano. Yeah, the Dandy yeah. and the Beano. So you've got Beano Town. Mm-hmm. We chose the name Fulchester. Uh, not initially, but about four years into the production, we, we, we opted for Fulchester, which is actually the name of the, I don't know if you know this, because you might be too young, but Fulchester is actually the name of the the fictional uh, court. Well, it's, it's the town in which the court in a TV series called Crown Court existed. Right, no. So it was Fulchester Crown Court. And it was one of the only TV shows that went out during the day in, in, in our childhood. Yeah. Because the BBC didn't broadcast during the day. They, they only came on in the evening. And uh, there was kids. They showed kids shows, kids shows on BBC One. BBC Two didn't come on at all until evening time and usually a lot some of the afternoon was was all um t- test card you turned the tv on there was mm-hmm. just a test card on. is that during the day as well yeah yeah, yeah during the day so, so they didn't have like yeah, neighbors after the news but, there was no mm-hmm. neighbors on after the news no no there wasn't any news yeah, you didn't get you didn't get the news at lunchtime on the telly the news yeah. was only in the evening yeah so yeah that all that all came along later but um so there was this show itv they broadcast the Sullivans was the first Australian soap opera, and they showed that immediately. Now ITV started because ITV was independent TV, and they were funded by adverts and so on. And they had a news program at in at lunchtime, and then they put the Sullivans on straight after it, mm. and then um, straight after that, I think it was straight afterwards, was Crown Court. And the the great thing with Crown Court was. It was a drama set in a courtroom, but the jury were members of the public and they had to decide whether the, 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 the people were guilty as charged right. or, or otherwise. Did they not the do annoying, a of that the, later? The annoying thing Ten was that, that they never told you if they'd got it right or not. Because oh. <laughs> I assume the writer must have known and they never said. And I thought that was like the fuck's the point in that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the sort of template for Jeremy Kyle. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, surely that should be the crux of the show, though, wouldn't it? Wait, wait, wait. Ah, did they get it wrong? Out. Send someone down for the. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I guess the fact that it was, yeah, it was. Anyway, that was so we called we called the town where the characters existed, uh, Fulchester. Mm-hmm. First character to use that name was was uh, Billy the Fish. He played for Fulchester United. So we took that world, the world of sort of, of British comics, this very cosy, friendly world, yeah. and we added into it a, a slice of sort of British brutal street life reality, uh-huh. you know, and <laughs> and that was that was basically it. That was the majority of it of the content was uh, was cartoons that were like that. Can you remember the first ever sketch or the first ever character that you created? That I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Um, it was in issue one of his, and it was called Afternoon Tea with Mr. Kipling. 
and um, <laughs> this guy goes round to Mr. Kipling's house because he made exceptional cakes, yeah. you know. And the first thing that happens is, it's quite bizarre even looking back, the first thing that happens is he says, Mr. Kipling made exceptionally good cakes, and he sported some wizard sex aids and was kind enough to let me have a quickie with his wife. <laughs> um, and then he goes straight on to eating some bon frit slices. <laughs> Um, and he said, uh, and and then the final frame is saying, you know, and, and I enjoyed these rich brown. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, well, actually, the rich brown comes up in the, in the final frame. He enjoys these cakes anyway. And then he says, and then I bowed rich brown vomit well into the night. <laughs> and he's, in the last frame, he's hoying up down. So there. how old were you? Oh, how old were you when he came up with that? Fifteen. Fucking hell! That's amazing. Uh, it's, uh, I, I mean, I look back, and it, you know, I am both proud and ashamed. Uh, that, that I did that. Were, were, you, were your parents proud of, of what you did? I can imagine that, but you know that the... My parents the, didn't know about it until two years later when a BBC film crew turned up. <laughs> so did it... Did we it, didn't tell did them. Did the this like, stay like an underground thing for long? Did it stay like... Yeah, I mean, uh, although we were on the first floor, it was very much underground. Um, it was... Um, yeah, I, I, the, the thing was... It's difficult to imagine now, with you know the wisdom of hindsight. You look back, and there was there was no swearing on television mm. when 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 we started Viz. Um, you know, even after nine o'clock at night, you didn't see swearing on TV. It was a, a very rare thing. Um, at the if you went to the cinema, um, there was a special rating that that you don't have now, which was double A which you had to be 14 or over to see. And that was films that they didn't have any graphic content or sexual content or violence. They just had bad language in them. Right. And when I say bad language, I'm talking about words like crap and shit. You know, I'm not talking about the big four. Yeah. Right. So, so to put out this, and, and the only magazines that had any swearing or foul language in was pornography, yeah. which, you know, was on the top shelf and nobody saw it unless they, you know, were dirty old men in raincoats and that. <laughs> so for us to put out this comic that was full of, of swearing and violence and well, there was no sexual content in Viz, but, you know, there was pictures of dogs having shits on the dinner plates <laughs> and things like that, you know. So it was like, um, it was it was fairly, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say groundbreaking necessarily, um, but it was it was certainly brave, I, th- yeah. I guess, looking back on us as, as teenagers to do it. Yeah. So how did he go from selling 150 issues of the first uh, 150 copies of the first issue to being the the second biggest selling magazine in the country by selling more? Yeah. <laughs> how 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 did he sell those 150? You made them yourself, is that right? How did he go charged, from that? Charged money for them. Yeah. yeah. But what we did? Yeah. <laughs> what we did? What Capitalism. We did. <laughs> what were you doing when you were 15, Simon? We smoking buckets. <laughs> <laughs> and then going to school. And I think it's productive as that. Well, I made little mixtapes of like rave music and I pretended to MC over the top of them. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure if they had been seen by enough people, they would have... And your life's, just, your life's <laughs> just gone downhill since. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really peaked at 15. Um, yeah. So what I'm seeing is, uh, uh, was there a publisher that decided, look at this, well, we'll, we'll have that. Have we, that. Me, me brother was working when we started... I was still at school, I was 15. Chris was 18 or 19. And he'd started working at what is known locally as the Ministry. So the Department of Health and Social Security, it was called then. 
And um, so he just had a really boring office job. But the thing with having a really boring office job, and he scored when he when he went in actually for his interview, because uh, they, they sort of stumped him, or they attempted to stop him by asking him, why do you want to come and work here, you know? Mm-hmm. And he said, well, um, I have hobbies, you know? I'm, I'm very keen on, uh, he was a railway enthusiast, and he yeah. wanted to go and visit places. And so he was looking for a job that would fund, uh, you know, a steady job that would fund him going away on weekends and uh, holidays to to pursue his, his hobbies, you mm. know? And they went, hmm. Guy like tick the box, and like, just the kind of person we're looking for. Um, so he got he got that job, and that resulted in him having a bit of disposable income. Um, so he spent that money on getting the first issue of his uh, printed, and it was quite um, it was a tricky business in those days. Printing wasn't as easy as it is now; it was a lot more expensive. Um, for instance, a, 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 an A4 black and white uh, photocopy sheet in uh, 1978, which was when the first sort of forerunners of this yeah. were, were produced, uh, cost 10 pence. Now, if you think that's, that's what, what it costs now, it costs now. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, what's that? 40? That's exactly 40 years ago. It was 10 yeah, nearly, nearly, nearly 40 years ago. Yeah, and and it, yeah, well, it, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, the, the and a, and a pint of beer at that time cost 47p. Right. So, you know, so if a pint of beer costs 10 times that now, doesn't it, effectively? Mm. Or, you know, somewhere between uh, 5 and 10 times. It does, about 10 but, times, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so it was, a, it was a hugely expensive business. But we, and having things printed, properly printed, would cost a fortune. But we found this place, what Chris found it, um, called the Tyneside Free Press Workshop. And they were a non-profit organisation. Mm. They were basically like hippies, you know, and they, they set up this socialist um, non-profit organisation uh, with the idea that people who couldn't normally afford to get stuff printed mm. could could come and... You, you could go in there and you could do some of the unskilled parts of the work yourself. So yeah. we used to do the folding and collating and stitching and, and everything ourselves, you know. And anyway... It, he spent about 40 quid of his wages on getting these 150 printed. And the only means we really had of, of selling them was to go around places where young people hung out yeah. and offer them to them, you know. So the, the first place we did this was um, the Gosforth Hotel, where there was a, a gig on by two bands, Arthur Two Stroke and The Noise Toys. And they were they both retained very long connections to Viz, those two bands. So, yeah. so the, Martin, who was the singer of the Noise Toys, he was a uh, an artist, and he became a he created one of the earliest popular characters in Viz called Tubby Round, um, and he did artwork which was used by the Strawberry and stuff in in adverts. Yeah. Like there was a classic advert. Drink beer and smoke tabs at the strawberry. I was seeing that. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Martin did the artwork for the original one of those. And, and, um, and that actually became the Viz, that was the Viz sort of leitmotif, the, yeah. uh, the drink beer and smoke tabs thing. And when we became the shirt sponsors of Blythe Spartans in uh, about 1990, we, we wanted to put drink beer smoke tabs on their shirts, but the FA wouldn't allow it. Bastards. <laughs> so 
that that was so we took it to gigs and sold it to mm-hmm. gigs and that was that first night it sold at that gig sold the first 150 odd went that night and then from there on it was a question of sort of hawking them around different pubs all the pubs of Jesmond and then after a short while there was a shop which is no longer there the building's actually gone and it was on the end of Ridley Place I don't know if you remember they, they knocked a little bit at the end of Ridley Place down to make access into what's the side of Weatherspoons and stuff right now. And um, that was the shop used to stand there, and it was called Listen Here, and it sold records. And it had originally been that building had originally been Virgin, so Virgin, which had before that been next door up some stairs, and it was called Virgin Records and Rags. They sold secondhand clothes as well, right. and it was like really early. Really, I'm talking about the really early days of, mm. of Branson's sort of empire, you know, and. So Virgin moved into Eldon Square when Eldon Square was built yeah. in like 76, 77. And this shop, Listen Here, opened. And it was basically an independent record shop. And they were the first shop that ever sold this like over the counter. Yeah. And they just sold like, you know, half a dozen copies and sale or return. And the brother would go in and uh, see if they'd sold and they want any more. And, and thereafter, the card bar in the Handyside Arcade became mm. um, that became a really big. Without Brian at the card bar, I think Viz could never have had the success. It was certainly not in the, in the short period of time that it. I say short yeah. period of time. Um, it was quite a long, slow process, but to go from nothing to you know world domination in 10 years was was pretty ridiculous like so and impressive yeah very because if you want to remember this is like long before the days of the internet and social yeah, media absolutely yeah yeah you had to go to a, we had to go to a phone box at the end of the street to make uh, calls yeah. yeah that's incredible yeah not so, not in our house we did my dad was a salesman so we did have a phone in the house but when i first left home you know uh, 83 or whatever yeah, you had, to, you had to go and queue at a phone yeah. box to make a phone call. <laughs> Jesus. So, so what point do you think it went from um, being like this smaller uh, magazine sold in a few uh, select shops to being huge? When did you know, like, wow, fucking hell, this is well, taking off? To be honest, si, the, 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 the f- that first night, uh, you know, I look back on my life and the point at which we were selling like over a million copies per issue that doesn't mean nearly as much to me as that first night mm, did. Because yeah. that first night was the sort of flag that went up that said, oh, hold on, you could actually do this. This this yeah. could be a thing yeah. that you could do, you know. Because up to that point, I'd, I'd done really well at school as a kid. I didn't know I was dyslexic as a kid. And then around about the age of nine, I started to have trouble with reading and writing. And it was never really recognised um, I wasn't diagnosed till I was 40 but I had problems with reading and writing and I started to really struggle at school and then I got into loads of trouble because it it's that classic thing where mm-hmm. if you don't do well at school you look for attention in yeah, other ways yeah. and, you know so I'd, I'd left school at 16 with, without any qualifications to speak of um, and Viz was you know I mean, obviously, when this the first issue of Viz was launched, it was the Christmas just before leaving school. So I left school in the June or whatever, and so it was a period. I knew I was approaching leaving school without anything to show for it, and it was a pretty dreadful uh, time. There wasn't really any prospect, you know. Mm. But then like, all of a sudden, this thing comes along. Oh, hold on! This might actually be something. 
that people like, you know, and and that it did. It took a long time to to actually earn us any money. It was a yeah. loss making operation for the first few years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was. It cost thirty and a half pence to print each one, and we were. But because and I was telling you before about ten pence being a lot of money in those mm. days, sounded like a proper old cunt now. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> it, it, you know, it. it we only sold it for 20 pence. Right. So, you know, Chris had put invested this money and he was losing 10 and a half pence of it on every issue. But it was a hobby. You know, yeah, like, yeah. like you said to the guy in his ministry yeah, interview, it was, yeah, he was just doing it for fun. Yeah, our hobbies so, do cost money. Just like, and that's yeah, like that's that, right. Yeah. So you don't, you, you don't, you don't have a problem with that. But then what happened was it started to sell in such numbers that, that we all got the, uh, the feeling that it, it could make a living for us. And then um, a guy called John Brown saw it on TV. And then as a result of other publishers starting to sniff around us and then reject us, because there was a big publisher called mm. IPC Magazines who did about 50% of mm. all magazines in British news agents at the time. <clears throat> and they invited the three of us. It was me, self, Chris and Jim, another lad from school. We were the sort of original founders, and Jim. Jim had kind of introduced us to the concept of comics for adults, actually, initially. But he showed us fabulous, very freak brothers and stuff. Mm. Which we didn't really like those comics, but we saw that. Oh, hold on, yeah, you can do comics for grown-ups, you know. Yeah, there's a market for it. Yeah, him. and he was he was a great talent. Jim, he was a fantastic cartoonist. Um, he had a very natural talent for drawing funny things. You know, if you drew someone's face, it was just always funny. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> he. Uh, so anyway, they invited all three of us. This IPC magazines invited all three of us to London, and we um, it, was, it was absolutely ridiculous. You know, they had like they, they gave us lunch in the, the, the River Room, which was on the <laughs> the top the top floor of uh, King's Reach Tower on the south bank of the River Thames. You know, oh, like wow. overlooking the, the the river, and there's like this giant oak table. And there's the three of us sitting on one side of the table, and on the other side is like this great row of executives in suits. <laughs> well, you was all suited and booted up. No, no. We, um, Jim, Jim turned up wearing a, a, a t-shirt that, that uh, had sounds on the front of it, which was a magazine produced by their big rival. <laughs> so, because they did the NME, and sounds was its rival. Right. Anyway. So we're all we're all sitting there. Good start. Yeah. <laughs> so we're sitting there, and there's the guy in the centre was this bloke. He sort of looked like David Pleat, you know. He had like this bunch of grapes hairdo. Who's David Pleat? He was the manager of Sheffield Wednesday and various other football clubs, wasn't he? He was just a. You would know him if you saw him, it, you know. But it's well, he was just an old. Yeah, yeah, just like an old. I tell you who he looked a bit like the multilingual recent manager of England, Roy Hodgson. Okay. Looked a bit like that, okay. but with a sort of bunch of grapes. It's like a natural <laughs> curly curve sort of thing. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so he's and he's got his suit on, you know. <clears throat> and uh, the the for lunch it was shepherd's pie, right? Because we yeah. were northern. You see, they thought that was very good. Oh, they like so, this one. Yeah, so <laughs> and he's. he's so it was a very awkward situation anyway. And he sits there and he takes a bite of his shepherd's pie, puts his knife and fork down, and he looks at us across the table and he says, um, Now, 
uh, you boys are from Newcastle, is that correct? And uh, we said, yes, that's right. And he said, hmm, I know uh, of a comedian from uh, Newcastle. And I said, oh, really? He said, yes, uh, Bobby Thompson. I said, oh, you know Bobby Thompson? He said, well, I know of him, I know of him. I says, oh, well, I thought I could break the ice, you know. Yeah. I said, uh, I know a really good Bobby Thompson joke. He says, do tell, do tell. So I says, right, he's standing there and he takes a packet of 10 woodbines out of his pocket and he puts one in his mouth and then he looks in the packet. He says, I bought this packet of tabs in 1948. I've only got three left. The greed, the mafia. Right? <laughs> so Jim Jim and Chris <coughs> both missed themselves laughing, right? <coughs> and I'm sitting there laughing because I can never tell that joke without laughing. <laughs> um, so John Sanders with his David Pleat hairdo starts laughing. Uh, at which point like a domino effect goes through all of his guys, you know, because they all see he's laughing, so uh, they better start laughing. So anyway. He then takes another bite of his food, he puts his knife and fork down, he says, So he bought this packet of cigarettes in oh. <laughs> 1948. I says, yes, he says, and he's only got three left. I said, yes, he said, why is that? Oh, God. I looked at him and I says, wait, the greed, the mafia? <laughs> and he looked at us blankly and I says, well, he thinks only having three left isn't he thinks that's not a lot <laughs> he bought them 30, 40 years ago you know and he's like you know and he went hmm. and then he moved on and so on. I thought we should have realised at that point it was yeah. never going to fucking work you know? <laughs> so, I'll have to explain Johnny who went then so we had to we had to go through this process of of doing like a dummy comic for them that they could then approve and then they said oh yes but if, you know you'd have to do some things to make our board approve of it and that you know mm. And it was torture. It was mm. absolute torture. Did they understand the lingo? Well, I'll give you a, I'll give you a quick rundown of the things. Some of the things they wanted to change. The, the Mr. Logic referred to his penis as his penis, <laughs> right? But they thought that penis wasn't a comedy word, so they changed it to donger. Oh God. <laughs> Because donga is a comedy word, you see. Oh, so they had the humour experts. Look at this, and we're going. Oh, is this, these execs putting their own little trying to put their own little clips in. So anyway, then there was um, Sid the sexist, right? Yes. And the problem that they had with Sid the sexist was, and I, and I quote, <laughs> the one problem that. <laughs> yeah, yes, one, and, and, and I quote. Sid the sexist is clearly a chauvinist. <laughs> <laughs> What did you off? Where did you get that idea from? Did they tell you that straight, like without irony and stuff? So they renamed him Sid the Smooth Talker. No, they did. Oh, 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 yeah. oh, I mean, it was, oh, it was fucking horrific. And did you have to actually do, do, write a, 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 a storyline with Sid the Smooth Talker? No, no, they just literally took our work and took tip X and a pen to it and fucked it over. But anyway, not surprisingly, we fell out with them. <laughs> and that was how we ended up. You see, the, the guy from the guy who was our contact at that publisher was a guy called um, oh, what 
what was his name? Anyway, he, he Bob Painter, and he had watched this TV. You know, I was telling you about the TV show where my mum and dad didn't know about Viz and then a crew turned up. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that show was called Something Else, and that went out in 81, and it had <clears throat> the angelic upstarts on it and various other stuff, and it was a feature on Viz, you know. And then two years later, they did another show called Sparks, which was all about young people who were doing things for themselves. <laughs> and so we, we, we had a free reign, really, to make a show, 10 minutes of television about visit. And, you know, this was, once again, banging on about, you know, how things used to be in the old days. There was only three TV channels. Mm. So pretty much one-third of everyone who was watching TV saw something if you did it on TV in those days. Uh, and if it was... At a certain time, you know, say on if they put it on the BBC when Songs of Praise was if it was on BBC Two and Songs of Praise was on BBC One, like anyone who didn't want to watch Songs of Praise could easily end up watching it. You know? yeah. so it was, I'm sure that's a big audience. So, it was, <laughs> you know, so it was a big deal being on telly in those days. And Bob Painter and John Brown, who worked for Virgin Vision, which was part of uh, Virgin Books, or well, Virgin Books, I think was part of Virgin Vision, wasn't it? And um, so when we got rejected by IPC, um, Chris wrote a letter to Richard Branson because he worked out that... And, and in fact, Bob Painter had actually scribbled a little note to Chris on the bottom of one of his... It was actually the final letter where he says, look, we want football to do with Viz anymore. Yeah. And he, in those days, you know, you had in a big office building, you had a typing pool. So you would dictate a letter... Mm-hmm. It would be sent on an audio tape to uh, a group, basically, of young women who, who sat at typewriters and they typed the letters. Then it was sent back to your office to be signed. When he signed it, he scribbled on the bottom, why don't you try going to Richard Branson, you know? Yeah. So Chris wrote to Richard Branson pointing out that we sold, at that time, about 1,500, maybe 2,000 Per issue in the Viz in, in the Virgin store in yeah. Newcastle, mm-hmm. so he says, "Well, look, you know, you've got thirty stores around the country, and you know that equates to like sixty thousand sales. Would it be a business you would be interested in, you know, investing in?" And I don't think it ever got to Branson himself, but it ended up on John Brown's desk, and John Brown had seen the Sparks TV show, mm. and he immediately came to see us. I mean, he literally. You know, said to his secretary, book me a flight to go to Newcastle. And he he got out of the taxi, so he got out of the plane at the airport and got into a taxi and said, "Uh, Lily Crescent. And uh, the taxi driver said, Where's that? And he said, Chesmond. And uh, the taxi driver said, Well, where's that? And he said, Newcastle. And he says, All right. Tell you what I'll do. I'll take you to the railway station. This is Middlesbrough. <laughs> <laughs> he'd, he'd flown to what's now called Durham Tees Airport. Yeah, uh, but taxi from Middlesbrough <laughs> to Central Station. <laughs> so he uh, he got he got on the train and ends up coming to see us. And uh, he, for all that he was a terribly posh cunt, um, he was brilliant because the one thing that he did. That, you know, you were saying, at what point yeah. did this really take off? And he offered us a publishing contract, and he sat in Willow Tees in Jesmond. It's not there anymore. It's called the Fat Hippo or something mm. now. 
and and he was looking through Viz and, and eating at the same time and asking relentless questions. And and he said, well, clearly the one thing that I must say is if this is to be a success, I must not interfere with it at all. That's what you want to hear, isn't <laughs> so it? So I, yeah, and having just gone through this process with... Grapehead. With, yeah, with, yeah, with, with, with um, IPC, it was just everything that we wanted to hear. And he wrote the contract out actually stipulating that he did not have any artistic say in the content of the magazine and that contract exists to this day so although Viz has been through about four publishers in its history that clause remains the clause remains so the guys the guys who write Viz have absolute uh, sway over over what's in it you know yeah yeah yeah. fucking excellent it is yeah Yeah. uh, it could never have worked if it wasn't for him yeah yeah Brilliant. Well, everything else he's ever touched has turned to shite. But, <laughs> um, he got you right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, as this podcast is a psychopath test, do you think you've encountered many psychopaths on your way up <clears throat> or on your way back down? <laughs> um, well, here I am. Mm. Um, <laughs> psych- yes. there, was, well, there was an interesting guy. Um, you know, we were talking about the tube earlier. Mm. There's a guy called Fofo Spearjig, otherwise known as Waverso Shave. Don't know which name's weirder. And he played a character on um, on the tube called The Hard. I don't know if you've ever seen it or heard of it. And what he used to do, he stood in his backyard in soul shields. (laughs) And he he wore a big black and white hoop jumper, which was stuffed with loads and loads of newspaper to make him look massive, right? And he had his trousers were like rolled up because you know in the seventies if you were hard you had really short trousers and big <laughs> boots right so he had his trousers like properly rolled up here and he had two pairs of Doc Martens on right he had one what? pair of Doc Martens so he had to sort of stand inside one pair so he had one pair on and he like stood in the other pair and uh, and then he would say I'm hard me I'm hard right. And then he would put his this hand... This is on the television. Oh, on the tube, yeah, on national TV. So he put his hand, put his hand on the TV, on, on the wall of, yeah. the, of the, you know, the brick wall of, of his, uh, of his mum's house in South Shields, right? And, and he hits his hand with a hammer, right? Well, he's first of all, he says, hand, hammer. <laughs> hammer, hand, right? <laughs> then he just goes, smack! <laughs> then he just goes... I felt notes. <laughs> I mean, he used to, uh, I used to, I used to, I used to, I used to make bovril by eating a, uh, eating a, a sachet of bovril and pouring the water out of the kettle down the neck, you know. And, it's all uh, like his idea. Oh yeah, yeah. Stuff he wanted to do. So anyway, me and Chris went to visit him to take a photograph. We had, we had a poster of him on the back cover of uh, issue ten of his, I think it was, in his backyard. We went round and we sort of imagined that he would be like a comedian, you know, because this was like the act that yeah, he did, yeah. you know. And sure enough, there was an element of that. But what we didn't realise was that he was actually properly mental. Right? <laughs> and it was only when we turned up at his house in South Shields. Um, we got we, It was like a proper, like a Coronation Street where the doors opened straight onto the street, you know. Yeah. And the doorstep of the house must have been relayed in concrete at some point. And 
carved into the the wet concrete was six six six, right? Oh my God. <laughs> and then on the, on the on the door, just by the doorbell, it was written in handwriting: "Abandon hope, all ye who enter here." You know. Fucking hell! So we're <laughs> a horror film. We rang, we rang the doorbell, right? <laughs> and uh, and he comes to the door, uh, and he says, uh, "How are you doing?" All right, he says, uh, do you want to see me satanic altar? <laughs> and, uh, the answer to that is always no, isn't it? We went, uh, we went, uh, hi, all right. Then. So, so we went into his, so it was like a tiny flat. I think it, it must have been a tiny flat because his bedroom was downstairs immediately. Mm. You know, so you, so, you know, typical tiny flat, you, you, you come in the corridor and then there's a bedroom the, the, with a window at the front, yeah, you know? yeah. And the curtains of the bedroom were shut, you know. Mm -hmm. And the satanic altar was just, it was the chimney breast, right? Uh, right? But arranged on it and around it was loads of stuff like, like t toy dolls, you know, the, the heads off toy dolls with Alice Cooper makeup on them right. and stuff, right? <laughs> Rod Stewart albums, <laughs> tartan scarves. Oh, this, this is bizarre. <laughs> So a combination of satanic stuff and Rod Stewart memorabilia, you know. And uh, we're going, hi, right, uh, that's nice. And uh, and then his mom appears, right? And he's a based synthesexist's mom on this woman, right? right? Little woman with her curlers in and, uh, you know, a little nylon house coat on, right? And she comes in and says, your friends want a cup of tea, Rod? Right. She, she made his, his mother. His, apparently, we found out later his real name wasn't Rod. Yeah. But like he, he made his mother call him Rod. So, oh God! So your friends want a cup of tea, and uh, it was said hi, right? So, um, and then um, as she's walking back off down the corridor, he says uh, he points back at his altar. He says, "I the uh, Greek god Pan uh, came out of there the other night." <laughs> and uh, he said, "All right," and. Uh, he said, Mom! Mother! Isn't that right? She says, What's that, Rod? She says, uh, The Greek god Pan come out of the wall uh, the other night. He says, That's right, Rod. Aha, uh -huh, that's right. <laughs> and uh, she, 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 went off, she went off down the back to make the tea, you know. And then he starts showing us photographs that he reckons have got fairies in them and all this, you know. And, uh, and he was proper mad as a box of frogs. How did you know? get on the telly? <laughs> well, I don't know where they found him, to be honest. But, <laughs> but he made... I mean, he was... You see, I was telling you about Arthur Two-Stroke, the, the band, and Arthur Two-Stroke was actually a guy called Phil. And he named himself Arthur, Arthur Two-Stroke after a guy that he'd met in a pub in Clapham yeah. who was called Arthur Two-Strokes. <laughs> And he was called Arthur Two Strokes because his name was Arthur and he'd had two strokes. I love word cleaning. So, but, we, but I always thought it was like a, like a mod thing, like the two stroke, like a scooter, you know, but it was just any, anyway. Yeah, it was actually just he'd had two strokes. So um, he had worked with Wavis. Um, on an album, Rod. Rod. yeah, Rod, Rod. yeah. <laughs> an, an album called uh, Anna Ford's Bum, in which the Anna, Anna Ford was a newsreader. She was the first female newsreader on on ITV, and um, she she's 
you know, he was a bit of a heartthrob for a, a lot of people, and and he made this album in which the the title track was him ringing up James Whale when James Whale used to do Metro Radio, so he was in the in the night owls yeah. slot, you know, before Alan Robson. Mm. Oh, Alan had just yeah. always been there. Well, he sort of he was he was at Metro from he used, but he used to do the Hot and Heavy Express, <laughs> um, and he he. He, so it was James Whale from 1974 and then Alan Bezik from about 1981 and then Alan Robson took over and he's been doing it ever since, since about 83 or something. All right, so um, Phil had worked, Phil and Andy, Andy Pop, who um, put the gig on at the Gosworth Hotel that first night, um, they'd worked on this album and and consequently had subsequently done done a couple of gigs with with Wavis, although he always refused to perform. So they'd put yeah. gigs on and then he wouldn't turn up and stuff, you know. So Phil used to have to <laughs> pretend to be him, and he used to wear these two foot long papier mâché false noses that he supported with a little stick, you know, like a Muppet's <laughs> arm, you know. And um, anyway, he, this album Anna Ford's Bum, the title track. Uh, is him well actually he's probably one of Wavis's mates because it doesn't sound like Wavis but he, he rings up um, Night Owls and says uh, James I want to talk about um, you know the uh, the newsreaders and that uh, and I want to talk about the pronunciation and everything the, 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 when they're talking on the on the telly and that uh, now I want to talk about the one the, the one that uh, won the award the one that won the award and he says oh yes uh Anna Ford, he says, oh, Anna, oh, Anna, oh, Anna, Anna, oh, Anna, Anna, oh. And this just carries on, right? Oh and, ja- and James Wales starts going, yes, he thinks he's very funny. He thinks he's very funny. And the guy's like, Anna, Anna, he doesn't hang up. Anna, Anna, this, and it's fucking brilliant, right? And he's and then he hangs up and he has line three, <laughs> and um, so he got quite famous for that. Um, and I think that's probably how the tube got a hold of him. Yeah. But um, we had time to be alive. So yeah, it was, it was. So he now um, he was proper mad, but uh, I think he was just a. He, he was a schizophrenic, clearly, yeah. you know, but he, I don't think he was a psycho. Um, so do you think he actually did hit his hand with a hammer? Yes, but I think there, <laughs> there was an element of theatre in right. it, you know. Um, um, but yes, but he did. the TV company just allowing him to be himself. It's on YouTube. Is it? Look, look, oh, look, look, look up the hard and the tube or Fofo Spear Jig. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'll put a link in the description for anyone who wants to check that out. I'll yeah, certainly yeah, do. Yeah. I certainly do. That's what I'll be doing. I'm trying to think who else I know that's proper mental. There was a guy There was a guy who played in one of the bands. I'll not name him because um, cause he um, he's a counsellor in Bradford. <laughs> but he... Um, he went proper mental uh-huh. and he kidnapped somebody. Huh? No. And got prison, in prison for it. Yeah. He's a counsellor now. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, Amazing. Mm-hmm. Lucky you, Have Bradford. You heard, the, you heard about the Sunderland mayor guy? Stabba Watson. Stabba Watson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't imagine you want to look it up? Is. Look it up. Stabba Watson. Did he stab someone? <laughs> To death. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Till he was dead. Till, uh, yeah. Till he was uh, completely 100% dead, apparently, yeah. 
Right. So we'll, we'll get you the name Stabber. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what I've heard. If you it? want to inherit the name Stabber, yeah. that's that's a way to go. Well, apparently, the, pre- the press don't like to talk about it. And, Can't uh, imagine why. But it's it's not. But it's but it's a bit like the the um, dirty den thing, you know. He murdered. A well, we mentioned that on, on episode yeah. one. We he, was, about he was a murderer, mm-hmm. uh, but oh, you weren't meant to talk about it. It's like you're not meant to talk about the fact. Um, Jimmy Tarbuck was done for stealing Terry Thomas's uh, cigarette case out of a dressing room when, right. when Jimmy Tarbuck was just like a young lad on the bill, you know. Mm-hmm. And Terry Thomas was a famous film star at the time. He'd be like, he'd be, he'd be the top of the bill, you know. And uh, he, he he stole it. And uh, obviously Terry Thomas didn't just say, give us that back. Because um, he was prosecuted for it and he was done. And we used to have the, the newspaper article like uh, printed eight foot high on the, his wall out of the Liverpool Echo from like 1961 or something when he was done but my my um, but you're, you're not meant to mention it mm. don't mention that about to J- J- fucking Jimmy Tarbuck why the fuck not you're a fucking thief <laughs> so but like um, I, have you seen Nowhere Boy the film about yeah, John Lennon's early yeah. life there's a there's a little subtle message I say subtle it's not that subtle in the beginning of that because Tarbuck always goes on about how uh, oh, I went to school with John Lennon I went to school with John Lennon uh-huh. well, Lennon's riding his bike to school in the opening scene of that film and he, he rides past somebody he says hey Tarbuck you fat twat <laughs> <laughs> that's it that's the only bit of Jimmy Tarbuck in the film like, oh. he probably loves that oh, that's probably a <laughs> <great>. fat twat <laughs> <laughs> fucking brilliant well Simon um You've taken the psychopath test. We took it a bit earlier. Where, yes. where do you think you will have scored uh, on the on the uh, psychopath spectrum? I think probably thirty <laughs> percent. <laughs> well, because I, I pressed the button and saw it. Yeah. <laughs> Drum roll, please. Well, we're going to reveal it. Anyway All right. The uh, you scored thirty percent. Never. Never. What does that mean? Does that mean I'm going to go to the hospital? Little funny. Right, that means I'm normal. Is yeah. that what you're trying to say? <laughs> Just sigh, that means little funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You've got lower than me, Simon. So. Yeah, <laughs> quite low. Yeah. Probably quite normal. You're quite caring. You've got empathy and all that boring shit. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Damn. <laughs> Where do you think you might have scored high? High? Is there any questions? I can't remember the question. Well, the questions were like, would you kill a puppy with a hammer? Like that, and stuff yeah. like that. Um, <laughs> Most people scored low on the puppy yeah. hammer question. Uh, um, <laughs> high. Uh, it was more so the, the, the thing about uh, being like, you know, would you would you screw someone over to further your career? Yeah. I mean, you've got quite far in your career, so have you ever had to stab someone in the back? No. No? I wouldn't do that. I'd not like that, no. I've lost out on a lot of deals by not being a cunt. Yeah. But I'm, you know, I'm happy to go to my grave uh, with Not that with that on my record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I know a lot of people who've done what I consider to be horrible things, and other people have said, "Oh, well, it's just business, it's just business." I said, yeah. "Yeah, what do you mean, fucking business? That's just another way of saying cunt, isn't it?" Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's there's certain things. I mean, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind getting a job ahead of somebody else but I would rather do it on merit than by fucking you know yeah. doing mm. someone over that's very fair uh, yeah. we had um, we had Sammy on last week um, who 
sort of crosses the spectrum of work, comedian and actor, and she's met a lot like you have as well. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's more psychopaths in the acting industry or in the comedy industry? Um, well, I don't know that much about about the makeup of psychopaths, to be honest. I mean, I know that the, the, one of their main traits is that they lack empathy mm -hmm. uh, and probably aren't very good at understanding other people. Mm -hmm. So perhaps they wouldn't necessarily want to take on the role of another person as an actor. Uh, perhaps they'd be in more in yeah. Perhaps they'd be more inclined to just rant endlessly about themselves, which is what we do as comedians. <laughs> yeah. you know? There's a lot of actors so, uh, that do that as well, though. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the green room. Yeah. Yeah. So far, everybody that we've had on, it seems to to point out that there seems to be more psychopaths in in the comedy industry. Psych. Yes. Yeah. Oh, so you just go to dark places, a lot yeah. of you, don't you? Yeah. Especially you. Yeah. Yeah. Middlesbrough. And on that note, we'll say we thank you very much for coming and doing the podcast. Um, yes, thank you very what, much. What are you, do, what are you all, doing next? All being lovely, apart from the conversation and the company. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> What you got up next? Have you got any uh, any big news you want to share? Well, uh, the, the big news is that uh, the stand have just given me and my brother um, a monthly regular slot for Donald Trump's. Yeah. So from well, from June of next year, it's going to be the third Tuesday of uh, the month, yeah. and up until then, we've got some irregular but regular. So we've got some monthly dates that aren't mm. yeah. on the third Tuesday. But so basically, we're going monthly from uh, from uh, December. Excellent. Yeah. That's brilliant. That's the start, Newcastle, everybody. Yes, indeed. And is that because you're both? Surnames Donald and you try to trump each other. That is also like a pull on the nearest. See what we've done there. Yeah, okay. You've seen what Clever. Yeah, it's a it's a head to head uh, show. It's hosted by Alfie Joey. Yeah, and basically we write each other's questions. So mm -hmm. uh, every show is entirely different because we have to do something that the other person hasn't been aware of until the question's put to them. Yeah. So. Um, we we do one of my favourite rounds is called Donald's Where's Your Trousers, <laughs> and um, basically we have to produce three photographs. We each produce three photographs in which we uh, have uh, put a pair of trousers somewhere, <laughs> and the other the other brother has to work out where the photograph is, <laughs> and it's somewhere that's relevant to our life or career. You know? Yeah, excellent. That's brilliant. Well, if anyone wants to find out more details for that, um, you can visit your website is simondonald.com. Yeah, but I haven't updated it for over a year. Right. You're probably better following us on Facebook. Facebook or Twitter. Twitter, yeah. I mainly use Twitter for calling Piers Morgan a cunt. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, but Facebook's the place. And don't follow, don't do the him off the viz page because that's like, shit, I never update that. Yeah. Just look for me by name on Facebook and follow us on there. Excellent. And, Good uh, stuff. Aye, and uh, I'm doing a one-man show in Manchester on November the 17th. Brilliant. The venue? Uh, it's the Edge Theatre in, in Trollton. Oh, very fancy. Yes, November yes. 17th. That's good stuff, good stuff. Sam, what have you got coming up? I know um, in fact you've got something coming up that we're not really allowed to talk about. Well, it's, yeah, it's just, just an audition. You've so. had an audition for uh, one of the biggest soaps in the country. It's yeah. called <laughs> 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 that, yeah. yeah. It's the that, uh, Fairy liquid. 
<laughs> I know, I know I asked us every week, but did you ever hear back from Holby City? Well, it was one of those you thanks, You can't have heard no back thanks. from there. It's fictional, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, and oh, I'm going to play um, called Walter at Alphabetty Theatre runs in first week of November, so please come. Is that all the title of the show? No, it's just called Walter. <laughs> ah, right. Uh, <laughs> and I play a pigeon, so uh, it's oh, not the like... Walter the pigeon. Oh, Walter pigeon. Yeah. That's a pun, isn't it? Yeah. Walter yeah, pigeon it. was an actor. Yeah. I believe. Was he an actor? He was, wasn't he? He was in films. Yeah, but also it's the, the pigeon that was in the war. There's a book oh, the pigeon that was in the war. <laughs> that one. Mm. <laughs> I've really yeah, done my research. One, huh? War pigeon. <laughs> Good stuff. I thought you'd done a clever, like, you know, war drums. Uh, Why no man uh, there's joke there. Uh, no, I'm not, not, not that clever. I'm not that clever at all. <laughs> uh, got anything you want to plug, Simon? Um, I've got I'm trying to figure out how to bleed the radiator in the spare room. I've got a bleed key if you need. I feel um, it's, it's, a, it's a put a fancy one, you know, because uh, well, I'm not doing well, but your wife is. It's like a fancy <laughs> radiator. Um, it hasn't really got like a slot for the, for the radiator key to go in. It's got like all uh, mechanical things on it, and I don't mechanical. really know what to do. Likely to be mechanical. It's not going to be electronic, <laughs> is it? Uh, um, well, I don't know. We've got this new smart things for that controls it. Oh yeah, but it's just it's a radiator. It's just but I think of, it needs bleeding. It's just full of hot water yeah. and it needs bleeding. So. Is it colder at the top than it is at the bottom? Yeah, that's, that's yeah, exactly yeah. it. Full of air. Yeah. So yeah, you just need to work out how to bleed it. So, sometimes the modern ones have a, a, a thing that you can just uh, turn by hand. I might have to have a look. Mm. YouTube, we can everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> YouTube. But anyway, that's what I've got going on. Uh, so <laughs> well, I've, I've got to get back to building my wall now. Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Man well, of many Simon, talents. Thank you very much for doing the psychopath test. Yes, thank uh, you for coming on. Cheers for coming on. And uh, everybody, do remember to go and like us on Facebook at the something or other. Psychopath test. At Instagram at the thingy. The Psychocast. The Twitter at the what you might call it. Psycho Podcast. Good. And then uh, go on iTunes and leave a review or what other podcasting uh, thing that is that you use. SoundCloud. Good. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that's a good double act, isn't it? Like you just talk shit and she knows all the facts. Yeah, that works really well. I'm yeah. the only wise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's just a character I play. <laughs> Good guys. Well, thanks very it's much. Fun, yeah. We'll see you next week. Cheers. Bye. 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 Bye.